thanked them for what had taken place, the fact that they had supported him even when other churches were unwilling or at least uh, had been asked not to support him. And so the apostles' words are personal to the church of Philippi, that they had been generous to him. And so he writes to thank them. Someone gives you something and you, and you want them to know that you're appreciative of that, you maybe write a thank you note, or if you're writing a letter, you may say something about it at the end of the letter. So Paul's thanking them for their generous gift. But he's doing more than that here. He's also giving them a moral analysis of what they had done. He says in this context, you did well in sending me this support and providing for me this gift. Now, they had done well, and the word there means that which it can mean even that which is morally right. They had done well not only in the fact they satisfied his needs. Remember, he says in this text, I have everything that I need. Ephrodite has brought it. I'm full. But also because he says at the end of these words that what they had done was well-pleasing to God. So here you have an activity that not only pleased Paul because it provided for him, but it also he recognizes about what they'd done that it pleased God. And in the context of saying that, in, the, in terms of giving the gift, he adds something to that. He says it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Your gift was an acceptable sacrifice. Now, what I want us to, I suppose, first recognize when we look at this is that what Paul says about this gift, about this activity, is the most important criteria that you and, ever, you and I could ever assign to anything that we do. It might be that this helps this particular cause or what we do facilitates this particular progress or what we do helps our families, but nothing could be said better about what we do than to say that what we did pleased God. That's the highest criteria you could ever place upon, the qualification you could ever place upon an activity. And it's really, in the final analysis, it's all that really matters is that God is pleased. We'll talk about that a little bit as we, as we discuss this particular passage, but I want us to notice uh, more specifically uh, this morning, Paul's use of the terminology that what they did was a sweet aroma to the Lord. How does the Bible describe things that please him? Uh, please God. How does, how does God describe things that make him happy, that please him? Well, one recurring phrase, particularly in the Old Testament, used to describe a sacrifice that was pleasing to God is this very phrase that Paul utilizes here. That the sacrifice was designed to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. This particular phrase is used 44 times in the Old Testament, 17 times in the book of Leviticus, 18 times in the book of Numbers, in the discussion where God is telling Israel how to sacrifice, when he's giving specific instructions on taking an animal or, 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 or a, um, some grain to God and giving a, uh, give, making an offering to God over and over again, this particular phrase occurs. It, it describes the burnt offering. It describes the free will offering, the wave offering, the drink offering, the offering of the first fruits, the daily offerings, the monthly offerings that were provided. Even the offerings on the feast days that were the yearly offering where there were many, many good sacrifices given over and over again during a seven-day period. Over and over again, the text tells us that you bring this to me, God says, and it is a sweet-smelling aroma to me. It is an acceptable sacrifice. Now, something that recurs this much, and there's this much emphasis on even though it relates to something that we don't physically do today in terms of giving an animal sacrifice, ought to call, cause us to pay attention to it. Particularly when we see that very same phrase used later on in the New Testament 
to reflect upon something that you and I are called to do. Then what does it mean for something to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God? Why is there so much emphasis placed upon a smell, as though God could smell something, as though what God smelled pleased him in the offering of a physical sacrifice? Well, I'm going to suggest a couple of things, then we'll try to make some application to Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4. But many scholars point out that the sacrifices of the Old Testament that are described as a sweet savor to the Lord are those that represent a full voluntary devotion to God. That there are different types of sacrifice that God required. Some of them were atonement sacrifices. Some of them a person would bring because he wronged somebody and it was a part of his process of restitution or because he'd sinned against God and he needed to make that right. And so he was called upon to bring a sacrifice of an atonement. An animal would then give its blood or die in behalf of the individual who sinned. And we're familiar with some of those sacrifices. We studied them when we went through the book of Leviticus and Numbers. But many of those sacrifices that Israelites were to bring and did bring for the tabernacle were simply devotional sacrifices. That a person was thankful for something, so he'd sacrifice to God. Or he'd made a vow to God, and he wanted to keep that vow, so he'd make a sacrifice to God. Uh, or as a wave offering, where something would be given to God uh, in a representative way, and then given to the priest to provide for their sustenance. And those type of sacrifices, that free will, voluntary, full devotion type of sacrifice are the types of sacrifices that are most often described with this terminology, that they were a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herds and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And then in verse 9 it says, And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the picture here is that God receives an offering from an individual. And the animal then is completely consumed by fire on the altar with the help of the priest. And that as the smoke rises from the burning flesh of the animal, that God smells the aroma of that and that God is pleased with the smell. But what does all of that mean? Well, I think we recognize, we have to recognize first, as we mentioned, the idea of the burnt offering, that the phrase is often associated with a burnt offering, which in the Old Testament meant the animal was completely consumed on the altar, completely burned up. The worshiper, in essence, in bringing a burnt offering was giving everything to God. There are other sacrifices where the animal was divided up and some of the animal maybe was used for food or whatever, different qualifications of that. But the burnt offering had that specific aspect about it. The Hebrew term for burnt offering literally means to ascend or to go up. It doesn't just indicate that the thing was burned, but it portrays in connotation the activity of burning. This, you burn something, the smoke ascends. That, in essence, as the smoke of the aroma ascended from the flames, that that was the direction of the offering. The offering was not being made to you or to me or to somebody else. There was nothing going sideways. Everything was going up. And so the burnt offering was an ascending offering, and the aroma then would ascend with the flames. The sacrifice produced a sweet aroma, and that aroma was designed to go somewhere. It was designed to go to, in terms of the analogy, the nostrils of God. Though we recognize God doesn't have physical nostrils or a physical nose. The idea here is that God would smell what the individual was doing, and he would be pleased with that unreserved worship or devotion to him. 
And so what's involved in the aspect of a sweet aroma is it portrayed in the burnt offering the intentions of the heart of the individual. That is, a person was taking a sacrifice to God. He wasn't doing it casually or trivially. He was offering everything that he had, everything he was to give to God in full devotion. And that was the intention, that he would give everything to God. God would smell that in the burning up of the animal. Another element of this is the evidence of an obedient heart. The first time that this particular phrase is used, the sweet-smelling aroma, is found in Genesis chapter 8, when Noah, after exiting the ark, offered an extensive animal sacrifice to the Lord. And that's a pretty good study itself, Genesis chapter 8, and that sacrifice that Noah made, because sometimes we think about sacrifice, we think about one person bringing one animal to the priest, and that animal is sacrificed before the Lord. But Noah stepped out of the ark, uh, he built an altar all by himself, I suspect. Maybe God gave him the design to build to do that, but he didn't have a lot of people around to help him. He built this altar, and then he offered on that altar one of every clean beast that came out of that ark. That was a pretty big sacrifice. There were a lot of animals that were burned up on that day, and it says, indicates there that it was a burnt offering. And for the first time in the scriptures, it says there that the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So what seems to take place here is that God is pleased with the outcome of, Noah, of Noah's faith. That Noah had been obedient to God from the very time that he told him to build an ark, and now at the consummation of this event, when the earth is made new again, he brings forth a sacrifice of full devotion to God, and God smells it, and he's soothed by it. He's pleased that everything that Noah had done, with all the results of his obedience, and based upon that, the text indicates that he made promises. Noah and his descendants. Interestingly, that the word the word the Hebrew word for soothing in this passage. Yet later on translated by the word sweet in the King James Version. Literally means not sweet as you would taste a piece of candy, but the aspect of soothing in the sense that that which is associated with rest. I think we have, there's, there's something that's pretty popular today called uh, aromatherapy, where you, you light these incense candles or candles have scents, and then you relax because the smell relaxes you. I don't know how effective that is. Sometimes I think I probably need to smell something that soothes me down a little bit. But the idea here of the sweet-smelling aroma in the Hebrew language is precisely that idea. That the idea of soothing means that which is associated with rest. And some suggest that this is really the word Hebrew word. It's really a play on the name of Noah. The name Noah meant, you see, one who would give rest. And here they are at the end of the episode of, of Noah's obedience. And the earth is at rest again from God's great judgment upon it. And he offers a sacrifice that soothes or puts God at rest. Because of the aroma that comes from it. Now I'm not suggesting to you that God was influenced by some aromatherapy, that it was the actual smell of the burning flesh that put God at rest or soothed him. But that the aspect of the sacrifice itself, what it represented, was that God had accomplished his purposes, and the earth was at rest, and Noah was at rest, and it was exactly what God designed it to be because of the sacrifice and obedience of Noah himself. So that the soothing aroma represented the result of Adam's obedience, of Noah's obedience. And it was given in response to the blessing of God. Now keep that in mind. That the soothing aroma in Genesis chapter 8 seems to point to 
the result of Noah's obedience that resulted from his response to the blessings of God. Because it's that principle that seems to reoccur later on. I'm not convinced that God actually likes the smell of burning animals or roasting grain in the same way that I like the smell of cookies in the oven. That's not what's involved. But rather, God actually is pleased with the results of certain sacrifices that are made by an obedient heart for that very reason, because the sacrifice itself, the burning up of the animal, is evidence that the person has done precisely what God had told him to do, that there's physical evidence that the worshiper actually offered a sacrifice because of the smell that it produced. And that the worshiper was to strive to please God. And the evidence that he would please God would be found in the fact that actually the animal was sacrificed on the altar and burned up, just like God commanded. So in the same way, later on in the Law of Moses, when God commanded individuals to offer physical sacrifices to produce a soothing smell to God. He was calling on them to obey God from the heart fully, with full devotion. That that was to reflect the submissive and obedient heart that freely responded to the blessings of God. This is what I have done, so this is what you should do in response to that. And it was to flow from a genuine, sincere heart. Now let me suggest to you that what this also suggests to me is that God can smell the difference. If there, is a, if there is an aroma that is soothing, if there is an aroma that is sweet to God, then is there also an aroma that's not sweet? Could we say that there are some things that God smells that he doesn't really like, if he really likes this? In our recent studies of Leviticus, we noticed that the, the words of Leviticus chapter 26, and God gave Israel a choice. He said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. Abundant lives, peace, prosperity, I'll defeat your enemies. I'll provide for you freedom. I'll give you what is best for you in your life if you obey me. But if you do not obey me, he says in that chapter, then will come cursings, terror, and disease. Your enemies will defeat you. And then in verse 31, in a longer list of cursings than there are blessings, in, a long, in verse 31, God says what may be one of the most profound cursings that will come upon those who do not obey him. He says, I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. You see what God was saying to Israel? When you offer this sacrifice, I'm going to smell it. I'm going to like it. I'm going to realize what you've done is pleasing to me, and I'm going to be pleased. But if you do not do what I do, even that sacrifice, I won't even smell it. What you do in the temple, what you do in the tabernacle, what you do in the church building, what you do in the religious context will have absolutely no meaning to me because you don't live your lives the way you ought to live because you're disobedient. Now, understanding the negative of that, understanding what God will not smell, helps me understand the importance of what he does smell and what it means that we would provide for God a sweet-smelling aroma. And it's 1 Samuel chapter 15. You remember King Saul disobeyed God. He spared Agag. God told him to defeat the Amalekites, kill everybody, destroy everything. But in Saul's own wisdom, he thought it would be good to bring back Agag as, maybe as a symbol of his power. Uh, so he brought back the king of the Amalekites. He brought back some of the livestock, some of the sheep and the cows. And when Samuel confronted him about this and said, what would I hear? I hear these animals. You didn't kill everything. He excused his disobedience by appealing to the value of sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 15, Saul says, For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but any uh, to, 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 that anything that he would do, you see, any attempt that he would make to please God by sacrificing was futile because 
It was not truly a reflection of obedience to the blessings of God. So what does Samuel say? Samuel's response is, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of ram. For rebellion is as sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And so, the story of Saul and his disobedience, you see, teaches us a very powerful lesson in terms of the legitimacy of sacrifice even in the Old Testament. That God could smell the difference. That, sure, you brought back these animals to sacrifice, but in the context of your disobedience, this is nothing but hypocrisy. It means nothing that you would sacrifice to me. Because to obey is better than to sacrifice. And so we have to be careful about this. Those sacrifices would not have smelled good to God. They would never have been a sweet or sweet smelling aroma because they were not ultimately reflective of the result of complete obedience to God. They weren't evidence that the heart was submissive, the heart was obedient. In fact, they were evidence of just the opposite of that. So God can smell the reality behind our efforts. That's a powerful realization for us. Is that we can pretend and we can fool other people. But God has a lot more smelling, smelling cells out there than you and I do and that other people do. And he knows the difference between what, we put, what we're putting on the altar is real. He knows the difference between when a person gives a lamb that really means something to him or when someone just brings something from the back of their flock that they were going to kill anyway. He knows the difference between somebody who comes to worship God with true devotion and thanksgiving in his heart and someone who's just doing it because other people expect it of him because you see it's just a ritual that he's always done. I might not be able to tell the difference, and you might not either. <coughs> the person sits in the same pew, goes through the same motions, puts on the same facade. Fool me pretty good sometimes. God can smell the difference between a sacrifice that's acceptable and one that's not. And so there is the aroma of an acceptable sacrifice. And that's what Paul mentions in Philippians chapter 4, isn't it? And this Old Testament connection helps us understand Paul's words to the Philippian church. That it, what they did was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. The gift that they brought to Paul was more than just a kind gesture. It was more than just a good deed. It was a moral act that was, in essence, obedient worship to God. It was a sacrifice. And the way he describes it is this generosity that was produced a smell that it produced an aroma that pleased God. Because, why? Because it was evidence that they knew what God wanted, they submitted themselves, and they sacrificed and were fully obedient to the commandment of God. They did it voluntarily, with full devotion. They did it cheerfully. Another thing I would not have recognized in this context, that Paul's talking about something that was given to him. The gift wasn't sent to a P.O. box, anonymous person. It wasn't sent even... To a church, it was sent to Paul. And as the money came to Paul, that was his gift. But when Paul describes it back to the people who gave it, he says, you sent it to me, but actually you sent it to God. It was a gift to Paul, but it was a sacrifice to God. Now that's an important uh, connection, I think, for us to make. Because that's the very connection that God makes and the connection and from the standpoint from our own lives and the things that we do, the good deeds we might do towards others, things of acts of generosity and kindness, even the aspect you see of helping someone in some need. 
that it has moral implications because it does more than just help the person. It is, in essence, a sacrifice to God. So we are called to offer our sacrifice to God, aren't we? Even in this age. We don't give animals. We don't bring grain. We don't burn anything up on a physical altar. But we respond to the blessings of God. God blesses us. And then we respond through thankful worship. We respond through doing other things for other people. And that's how you see this, this is described by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. There it is again. Person offers a sacrifice, God's pleased with that sacrifice. This is not the sacrifice of an animal. This is doing good for other individuals. This is, you see, coming to God and confessing his name to others. That when we worship God, we in essence are offering a sacrifice to God. And what is done in second worship is that the thoughts and the intents of the heart ascend to God with the intention of pleasing him. That's, that's a very important concept when it comes to worship. Because a lot of the perception of people's worship today in religious circles is that true worship is whatever makes me feel good. Worship is whatever pleases me. And that's not the concept at all. The, the Israelite would never have got the idea that what he was doing in the tabernacle and what he was offering to God was so that he could make himself happy. Now certainly there was the aspect that pleasing God would bring prosperity and there was the promise and reward of faithfulness. But what was done was done with the intention not of pleasing the person who was offering the sacrifice, but pleasing God himself. So it was an ascending offering. It was a complete devotion and burnt offering that was a sweet-smelling aroma that pleased God. And that's what Paul says ultimately about our worship as well. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. He says, the use of your body is a sacrifice. So you bring it to God and ascend to God to please Him. The idea that we are, that God gives us our bodies to please ourselves or that the freedom that we express in, in a political or, in, uh, or even an emotional way is that whatever we want to do with our bodies is okay because it belongs to us is anti-biblical in every way. Our bodies have been bought with a price. Our physical bodies belong to God. And the idea here that we would offer them back to God as a sacrifice is precisely what Paul, you see, requires. The question is not just if we offer our sacrifices of God, but when we do offer those sacrifices of God, what do they smell like? Well, God can tell the difference. Are we doing the things that we do to please God? God can smell the difference between a sincere prayer of thanksgiving and one that's said simply as a common ritual to those this is the time that we pray. God can smell the difference between, you see, a gift that's given from true compassion and love and a token gesture that's given because somebody expects it of me or through compulsion. God loves a cheerful spirit. Why? Because of the way it smells. That's why it loves it. And then there is, in the text, the aspect, in the Bible, the aspect of the aroma of love. What's, what's love smell like? Chanel number five. Like a commercial. The smell of love. What does love smell like? Ephesians chapter five, verse one, Paul says this. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. God is pleased when his children act like him. 
call ourselves the children of God, we ought to act like God. God is the greatest giver, so God is happy when his children learn to give. Every <coughs> true parent that's a giving parent would teach his children, even by example, that they are to give as well. God does everything out of love. Nothing he does excludes love. So how should his children act? His children should love. In fact, Paul says they should walk in love. They should walk in love because God is one who loves us. And what's the evidence of that? Well, it's the cross. And so Paul's thoughts turn to Christ. Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. But what was that sacrifice of Christ? Well, more than anything else, the sacrifice of Christ was acceptable. There was nothing missing in it. There was nothing about that sacrifice that made it amiss or insufficient. When he went to the cross and gave himself for us, his sacrifice was absolutely acceptable to the Father in our behalf. And although he gave himself for us, what he did ascended back to God. You see that? We're the recipients of the gift. He gave to us, but what he gave was a sacrifice, Paul says, to God himself, an acceptable sacrifice. So of all the sacrifices that have ever been offered, this one smelled the sweetest. This had the best aroma and pleased God, the Father, the most, is that God himself would make a sacrifice in our behalf. Centuries before the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross itself, the prophet Isaiah spoke about a lamb that would come be slaughtered and would not open its mouth, a lamb that would be given in behalf of others, that would be given for the iniquities of other individuals. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, where he relates to that, the familiar passages in verse 10, he says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 5. Is that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross as a sacrifice for us in obedience to the Father. And that when God smelled that sacrifice, that smell of selfless love, he was absolutely pleased. That was the aroma of full devotion. That was the burnt offering, the greatest burnt offering ever given. It was the aroma of submissive obedience. It was the smell of the result of absolute obedience to the will of God. And it made God happy that Jesus died on the cross. The book of Philippians earlier said that God rewarded that submissiveness. That Jesus became obedient to the point of death. That God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. The name of Jesus, every person would bow. So God expects us to offer the sacrifice of love to God by giving and expressing selfless love to one another. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus depicts the judgment scene. He accounts the judgment scene in an image of dialogue. That there is one who is the judge and he even carries on a conversation with those that he's judging. And so the Son of Man coming to judge the world welcomes those on his right hand, declaring to them, I'm letting you in because you've showed compassion and love for me, because you've done something for me. And their question is, when did we do this? 
Matthew chapter 25, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed and feed you or thirsty and gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see, the children are to be like the Father. And we are to be like Christ and offer our sacrifice. Not by putting an animal on an altar, or not even just by the aspect of coming and thinking about God and singing praises to Him in corporate worship. But when we go out into our daily life and we see someone in need, what is needed? What is provided for? What happens when someone helps someone else? Sacrifice An offering to God. An ascension to God that goes up before the God is one that would be smelled by God and that would please Him. You do it for others, but it ascends to God Himself. It is there a sacrifice of a sweet smelling aroma. In the final analysis, you see, it is done with the intention of a heart to please God and is the evidence of obedience that God actually will reward. That's what the sweet smell is that so pleases God. It's our lives. We're going to look at a passage in a, in a future lesson, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul actually says, and I believe speaking in context as an apostle, he says, in essence, we are the fragrance of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. We go about diffusing a fragrance among the people that we meet. What do you smell like? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you that personally, what you smell like. Some people smell better than others. Sometimes we have to hide the way that we smell. But in spiritual sense, every Christian should smell like Jesus. That when people of the world see us, and when they interact with us, when they have a relationship with us, whatever it might be, at work or school or someplace else, what they see and what they smell about us is that we are like Christ. And Paul says that's a smell, that's a song who are receptive of that message is the smell of life, of life unto life. To others, it's the smell of death, of death unto death. And there's a context in which he makes that statement, but what Paul's really presenting, I think, in terms of the apostolic message and his work as an apostle is that there are smells that please God and there are smells that don't. There are smells that please people and there are smells that don't. And if the gospel message is offensive to you, if it doesn't suit you, then it becomes the smell of death. But if you embrace the gospel message as a life-giving message from a true living Savior, if you recognize that what God says through the apostles is actually true, and that Jesus died for your sins and rose on the third day and he ever lived to give you life, then what you're smelling in that fragrance is absolutely satisfying. It's the most beautiful smell you've ever smelled in your life, that God would give his life for you and that you have the ability to come back to life again. That's the fragrance of Christ. It is the aroma of love. It is the aroma of selfless sacrifice on behalf of another. It is the aroma of Christ. God wants to smell the aroma of our obedience in our lives. He wants us to bring those sacrifices that please Him. 
He wants you and I to spread the aroma of the life-giving message to others so that they will come to him as well. To invite them in by what they smell. Yeah. I was walking through the neighborhood the other day, walking to the house where I could come in from Rebecca's. And I knew what my neighbor was doing, though I, didn't, I couldn't see him at all. I knew what he was doing. He was grilling steaks. I smelled that before. <laughs> You're walking in the neighborhood, and your neighbor's got something on the grill, and it's smelling, and you're thinking, maybe I can invite myself over for dinner. It's motivating. You think, I want to do what he's doing. I want to participate in what he's going to participate in. In a sense, that's what God tells us to do about being Christians. Our job is not to go out and live lives that antagonize others and set them in thought. Our life is to live in such a way that what they'll see in our life is something that they want and that they desire. And it will smell like Jesus and the selfless love that he presented in his life. And we'll, they'll want to know what's cooking with him. I want to join him. And that's what God wants us to do. Let your life be a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. That begins in your obedience. It can't happen any other way. Will you look, listen to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to the blessing of God? Through your repentance and your willingness to turn away from sin and live, live a life of holiness. And your willingness to be buried in water for the forgiveness of your sins. To confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior, with, not only with your mouth, but with your life. To set you on the course of being a sweet-smelling aroma. You can please Him even this morning. Why we stand in all this morning?